Today is the first Sunday in Lent, the season in which Christians take up again the story of Jesus as it leads him from the wilderness all the way to Jerusalem. It's a familiar story, or should be, but it is, I hope, a story that moves us all the same, that familiarity notwithstanding. It's a hard story, a hard journey to make every year, and in in case you needed reminding, there was that whole business of setting the clocks an hour ahead last night. A hard journey indeed. But our ancestors in their wisdom understood that repetition is a form of spiritual formation. Repetition works the story into our bones and infects and transforms us over time. And even with four Gospels to choose from, each with its own unique take on the story, the basic contours are similar enough that we find ourselves walking in some very old footprints, no matter which rendition of the story we're hearing. So no matter whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John serving as our primary text, the story we hear, the ground we walk, is familiar to us. And that's a good thing, I think, because this is the central story of our faith, and so one we ought to know by heart. It's the story of our salvation and the saving of the world, which are no small things. And so it's a good thing, I think, that we spend some time each year recalling this story, making the long Lenten journey all over again, finding our place in it, and then at journey's end, trying all over again to live as if that old familiar story actually matters. Now, there is a downside, of course, to this familiarity. That is, we can begin to think that we know it all so well that we don't need to pay attention, that we can sleepwalk our way through the season or make the journey without ever needing to lift our eyes from the road. And so we can lose the ability to be surprised, to see something that we've never seen before, to be shocked and frightened and moved by the events of the journey from the wilderness to Jerusalem. And it seems to me when we lose the ability to be surprised, we can thwart the story's power to transform us. It becomes just one more tradition, just one more thing that we do out of habit. And so I invite us to resist that temptation as natural as it is and do our best to imagine ourselves into this familiar story to try to see it all over again but with eyes open for some small thing we never saw before some little detail that can break our hearts the accumulation of which details can make the story's ending all the more powerful and transformative coming from Golgotha to the empty tomb as if for the first time feeling it and seeing it and experiencing it all over again but as if for the first time. This is more than just an imaginative exercise, as beneficial as that may be, because what we will discover along the way is that the journey the disciples took with Jesus is our journey too, full of challenges, of weird and inexplicable events, of the same kind of scary and mundane things that fill our days, following after someone whose words call us and frighten us all at the same time, realizing that this Jesus is our only hope and so dropping everything to follow after him and at the same time finding him taking us to places we really would rather not go, insisting that the way to life passes through death and that suffering is not a mark of God's indifference or anger but may well be the mark of God's love and favor. The way of Jesus has not gotten any easier over the last 2,000 years. It's still just as strange, just as frightening just as hard as it was when Peter, James, John, and their friends followed Jesus from Jerusalem and then abandoned him in the garden. Our Lenten journey is so much more than an imaginative exercise, beneficial 
as that may be. It's our journey, too, from death to life, from the empire to the reign of God, from not being a people to being a people, from being lost to being found, from being drawn to follow and to obey, and so often failing to do either one, staggering under the burden of whatever cross we are to bear and falling under its weight over and over and over again. One minute proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the next denying that we ever knew him. The story really is our story. It's not just a story like our story. It is our story. It is our story. And so whatever faithfulness we will see in these first disciples, we'll see as our faithfulness too. And whatever failures we see in those first disciples, well, we know that they are our failures too. Same as it ever was, as the talking heads say. The story of Lent, the Lenten journey, it's our story, our journey. And so we do well to pay attention, hearing it all over again as if for the first time, walking it all over again as if for the first time. Well, look who shows up in our readings for this morning. The devil himself, right from the get-go, Satan seeks to wreck what God is up to. If we sometimes forget what's at stake here, the devil doesn't, and so acts quickly to thwart God's purposes. And so in our reading from Genesis, they're in the garden with the human beings, just beginning to take up occupancy. The devil shows up in the form of a serpent and tempts Adam and Eve to go ahead and eat the one thing in the garden that God said they shouldn't eat. In our reading from Matthew, they are in the wilderness where... Jesus goes immediately following his baptism. At the very beginning of his public ministry, the devil shows up and tempts Jesus to set aside the way God has called him to and instead become the kind of Messiah that the world would recognize. Now we know very well how things went back there at the beginning of time, back there in the garden. The human beings failed the test and gave in to temptation and almost immediately became something less than what God had intended. And we know, too, how Jesus fared under his own testing. Jesus passed the test, resisting the devil at every turn, enlisting the words of Scripture to help him do so, and so left the wilderness fit to carry out God's mission in the world. The story from Genesis ends with an angel set to guard the Garden of Eden from human beings, from human sin, from human encroachment. The story from Matthew ends with angels gathering around the weak and weary Jesus, nurturing him back to health and so preparing him for the next steps along the way. Two stories of testing. And the examiner is the devil in both cases. Not at all surprising for any of us who've ever been in school. The examiner is the devil in both cases. An examiner whose agenda is clear to put a stop to whatever it is that God is up to. Two stories of testing. In the first instance, uh, the ones being tested fail. In the second, the one being tested passes. And somewhere there between the two, lies the rest of human experience, the rest of human history. Every day, whether we're aware of it or not, we face similar temptations, not always so dramatic as what we see in Genesis and Matthew. The devil, evil, whatever we want to call it, whether Satan or simply the sin of human beings, is still at large in the world, still tempting us away from what is good and true and right toward compromise, toward idolatry, toward behaviors and ways of being that are so much less than the ones for which we were created. And every day we face a test of one kind or another, a test which at its heart is about where our allegiance lies, who we believe is worthy of our worship, where we place our trust, where we find our hope. 
Now, sometimes we're fully aware of the choice before us, fully aware that we're facing a test. We feel the pull of violence as we encounter an injustice. We feel the pull of lust as we turn on the computer. We feel the pull of greed as we work on our income tax. We feel the pull of nationalism as we listen to politicians speak. We feel the pull of bitterness as we compare our lives to those better off. We feel the pull of resentment as we consider the lives of those we see as less virtuous. We feel the pull of arrogance as we take stock of our own position. We feel the pull of mammon as we strategize our next investment plans. And we know what it is to give in to those temptations, and we know what it is to succeed in resisting them, thanks be to God. Learning from our failures, Lord willing, and taking strength from those times when we do succeed, we slowly, slowly grow in faithfulness. We learn to see the tests coming a mile off, and so prepare ourselves to meet them. We learn how to avoid occasions to fall and do what we can to protect our hearts when they're at their most vulnerable. And here, too, repetition becomes a kind of formation as we develop the habit of resisting temptation or avoiding temptation and so move slowly but surely toward greater faithfulness. Our failures may still outnumber the times when we succeed, but we keep at it. We keep learning to resist temptation and to live just a little bit more faithfully. But these are only the personal tests, the personal temptations. Then there are the corporate tests that we face, the temptations of empire or capitalism or some other ideology that we're told can save us all with just the right amount of repositioning and tweaking. The temptation to destroy the environment for the sake of a few more years of comfort. The temptation to marginalize the poorest and most vulnerable among us, whether by the kind of chronic bad-mouthing we hear from the political class or the material harm done to them under the guise of fiscal responsibility and balancing the budget, the temptation to exceptionalism, the belief that everything that's done in the name of freedom and democracy is inherently good, even if what is being done is destroying the lives of people here in our own nation and in other parts of the world. Those temptations, these tests, are also a routine part of our lives. They're several steps removed from our being able to control or manage or resist them, but they remain part of our daily life. And yet, even here, we have some ability to be faithful. Even here, when it seems that the choices have already been made for us, we have some ability to be faithful. We can become, we can form communities which operate along entirely different lines from those pursued by the principalities and powers of this world. We can become, we can form, with God's help, communities characterized by justice and by peace, by our care of the most vulnerable, by our efforts at truth-telling, by our willingness to put the needs of others before our own. The values of empire turned upside down, there for all the world to see. Even here, even here we can find someplace good to stand. Even here we can pass the test. We can resist the temptation, and we can work towards staying true to what God intends for us. Now, part of telling the truth is, I think, admitting that we very often flunk the tests that we face, whether those tests are personal or corporate. We often cave into temptation, feeding our immediate desires, trading in God's blessing for a measly bowl of porridge, casting our pearls before swine, failing to live up to what we know to be right. The blatant defections, the denials, the betrayals that we can so easily justify in the moment, too often we fail the test, too often we sin. 
Now, to be fair, sometimes we don't really know what's right and what's wrong. Sometimes the choice is so subtle that we can't be certain what is the right way to respond. It's not like everything is clearly labeled. Sometimes we fail from ignorance or an inability to see clearly, a failure to discern what's the right thing to do. We fail often. If it's true that all of human experience is somehow positioned somewhere between Adam and Eve's failing of their test and Jesus passing his, then much of the time we find ourselves hanging around on the Adam and Eve end of the spectrum. Only rarely in my experience do we find ourselves standing alongside Jesus while the angels minister to us. Those moments do come. They do come. And we are occasionally faithful enough to surprise even ourselves, but they are, in my experience at least, rare and precious moments. Now, it could be that I'm being cynical. Wouldn't be the first time. But when I consider my own life and the lives of the people I know, the experience of failure seems to be the more common one. Passing the tests we face is nothing to take for granted. That being said, we don't despair because God is always with us, right? This is where you say amen or, okay, there you go. God is always with us, right? There you go. The more often we say that, the more likely it is that we'll come to believe it's true. God is always with us. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks be to God, actually. Let's remember that from the very moment when Adam and Eve limped shamefully from the garden, God got to work at saving them and their descendants. Remember that God has never abandoned us, no matter how often we may have deserved it. Remember that God continues to seek and to save everybody that's lost. Remember that God continues to pursue us. God continues to pursue you and will not rest until all are safely home, until you are brought safely home. Remember that God loves us. God loves us all as desperately, fully, and extravagantly as any parent ever loved a child, and so waits up until all hours of the night looking for us. And then, upon seeing us making our wandering way home, comes busting out the door and running out to welcome us, to embrace us, and to restore us to the place that God has always intended for us. So let's remember all of these things. God is with us And so we need not be dismayed by our failure to pass the tests of being human. We don't need to be dismayed by humanity's persistent failure to resist the temptations of power and violence and greed and lust. Let's remember that God is with us and take heart because as often as we face the tempter and fail, God remains with us. God lifts us up. God gives us the strength we need to keep walking and to face the next test that comes our way. And with God's help, to pass the next test that comes our way. Weak as we are, Adam and Eve-like as we are, unfaithful as we so often are, God is with us. In fact, God came to live with us, right? God became a human being, a real-life human being, Jesus of Nazareth. And that divine human being, that Jesus, faced the very same tests and temptations that we face every day. It wasn't just three big tests and done, although those three wilderness tests were mighty big ones. But Jesus faced the same daily energy-sapping tests that we all face every day. And 
So the story goes. He never, ever failed. Even in the garden, near the end, that final, cruelest, most painful test of all ends with Jesus saying, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus reveals to us what it looks like to be entirely faithful, to be entirely true, to be entirely holy, to be perfect as God is perfect. And so God's not with us just in some spiritual sense only, out of sight, but there, no, God became a flesh and blood human being with all the same frailties and desires that we know so well and then showed us the way, the way toward greater faithfulness, the way that leads us home. Now, as I said at the beginning, it's not an easy way. The way leads through the cross. But Jesus showed us the way, the way to be in this world with all its temptations and tests. And Jesus showed us how to surrender completely to God's purposes, trusting that the end of those purposes is healing, is peace, justice, restoration of all things. Jesus showed us how to pass the biggest test of all, the test of trusting God completely. And so this Lenten season, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We see him face the personification of evil and emerge faithful. Now, admittedly, the bar seems to be raised awfully high. But we remember that it was the Holy Spirit who led him into the wilderness and that it was the angels of the Lord who cared for Jesus on the other side. And so we take heart because God was with him. God was with him at the beginning of the test. God was with him at the end. And God was with Jesus everywhere in between. And so God is with us too at the beginning of every test and at the end and all the way in between. And so we take heart. The walk of discipleship has never been easy. The Lenten journey makes that clear. It's a hard road ahead of us, sisters and brothers, and it's always been that way. And we are so often weak, so often faithless, and if we only look at ourselves and we only consider our ability to pass the various tests we face, we will certainly give up somewhere along the way. But if instead we lift our eyes and look for the faithful presence of God all around us, we will find the strength and the courage we need to keep walking, the strength and the courage to come to the next time of testing and to face it without fear because God is with us. And if we cannot see it, if we don't have the strength to lift our eyes and look around and so find the hand of God among us, we call upon our sisters and brothers to show us a sign and so give us the strength we need to stay on the way. And together we will say that God is with us. Together we will proclaim that God will be with us all the way. And so together we move on to the next test. Together we move on to the next leg of the journey. Together we walk the Lenten road. And we know that God is with us all the way. Amen.